time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey everybody and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here and this is episode number 24 of our podcast where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day, every day and kiss them too. Don't forget to hug your chicken. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Coffee, coffee. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Delicious salted caramel. Ooh, one of my faves. I love it. If you're a fan of delicious coffee and awesome scones, cookies, and all types of baked goods, and you're local, head on over to Coffee, Coffee. You will not be disappointed. And now we're off of Mother's Day. Yeah. I gotta wait a whole nother year for this day. Every day's supposed to be Mother's Day, isn't it? Not in my house. Okay. Mother's Day means mothers do all the work. <laughs> That's why I like Mother's Day, because then I can say, can you do this? It's Mother's Day, and they just have no problem. Yeah, I don't have that. But I did get them to make me breakfast, which nice. was very good. And we had a good day. So what did the chickens buy you for Mother's Day? lumber so I can build another coop. Yay! (laughs) I mean, between all of our work with the podcast and all of our other stuff that we work on, the chicken coop, we're so busy. We're very busy, yeah. We're busy women. Yes, very. But I really do want to build another coop. Yeah, and Joe's going to be, I've said this before, but Joe said he's going to build me a coop, and we're going to have to get on that, that's for sure. And being busy like this is great. Busy podcast stuff makes me happy it's fantastic best job in the world it really is i mean all the work that we do on this is so worth it with all of our awesome fans out there and listeners yeah and both being fully vaccinated now we're going to take some calculated risks and do a couple field trips for some upcoming topics we have some great stuff coming up we're so excited to bring it to everybody yeah this is where i want to just uh, take a second to ask everybody if you love this podcast and if you're enjoying it can you go over to apple podcast and just leave us a written review please it really really helps us grow it helps us so much and we love to read every single one of them and we love our listeners we really do so yeah we've been busy but the chickens take a lot of work i wouldn't have it any other way oh yeah so we're working on the other run which is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And Joe has to tell me all the time, this is a lot of work for your chickens. Well, it is a lot of work. But it's I mean, worth it. At least you only have chickens. We've had to get all the llamas and alpacas and the sheep shorn. Yeah. And it's a really happy day when that's finished each year. Oh, yeah. Well, I have the boys, the Cavalier King Charles. May as that's well another just... type of shearing, isn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, you're not going to do anything with their wool, but yeah. No, I mean, it, when you get done, the three dogs, it's like five dogs of hair just laying yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Once the shearing is over for the year, I really have the spinning and knitting itch. Oh, yeah. Which right now, being so busy, it's hard to do. Yeah. And I recently found out that our amazing international correspondent, Fiona, is a knitter. Oh, yeah, we did find that out. Yeah, so I'm going to have to send her some nice hand spun from probably the Hog Island girls. Yeah, she's going to love that. I just gave it away. <laughs> surprises the cat's out of the bag <laughs> yeah definitely she's gonna love to knit with that wool yes and that's the other thing that not everybody knows is that you have wool and you sell it i do i sell it on my etsy shop yeah um, that's Baltimore awesome wool company yep. so i have 
I do have a blog. I will say it's a very sadly neglected blog. Because <laughs> everything we pour into this right here it is chickens right, right now. now. <laughs> but Baltimore Wool Company is my blog, and my Etsy shop is the Baltimore Wool Company. Yeah. And yeah, if you're interested in wool from llamas, alpacas, or some rare breed sheep, go check it out. Shameless plug. I will have been doing it. <laughs> It's our show. We can give ourselves a shameless plug if we want to. Oh, yeah, of course. So before we go any further and move on, let me take a minute to tell you about Iowa Blue Farm. It's a woman-owned, family-run, all-natural chicken treat company in the Midwest. And they make 100% all-American oven-dried black soldier fly grubs for all types of poultry. Emus. (laughs) Chickens. (laughs) Ducks. Turkeys. Quail. Guineas. Peacocks. <laughs> Don't use the peacocks. That's it's mine. Your peacock. Doves. Pheasants. Pigeons. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I won that time. This treat is very high in calcium and protein and great for this time of the year. If you want to go over to iowabluefarm.com and you're a first time buyer, the word coffee, all caps 25, to receive 25% off site wide. And that is a great deal. Give it a try. 25% it's good stuff. off. They love it. They come running for that blue bag. They're baked with love. Shipped with care. And shipping is always, always free. free. Now we can talk about Scottish things. Da 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Breed. Spotlight. Woo. So this week we're going to talk about the Scots Dumpy. Okay. You're trying to kill me with these chicken names. Scots Dumpy. Yes. You've heard us correctly. It's the Scots Dumpy. The Scots Dumpy. It's a very, very old breed of chicken native to Scotland. I was going to ask, where does everybody think this Scots Dumpy is from? But you gave it away. According to the Scots Dumpy Club website, there is historical and archaeological evidence that they existed at least 700 years ago, possibly longer. Okay, so that's a long time. That's a very old breed of chicken. I did not see anything that indicated they had been brought to Scotland on the chicken superhighway with the Romans. By the Romans? Yeah, yeah. So, so the Romans uh, didn't really have anything to do with Scots. I don't Dumpy. think so. I, I don't think so. Okay, that's number one chicken out of, like, all the ones we've done. Right. The most distinguishing feature of the Dumpy is their short legs. Okay, yes. I mean, they're very, very short legs. <laughs> I want to like see a sh- short-legged per- chicken in person. Shorter than the Favreles and the Dorkings. Okay, they make the Favreles look like they'd be on a basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> so according to British poultry standards, the Dumpies, also sometimes called Creepies. Okay, that's even creepier. <laughs> The dumpies are a large fowl whose short leg give them a sort of swimming or waddling look when they walk or run. Kind of reminds you of a duck. Yeah. They have a single medium-sized comb and waddles. They have red earlobes. They come in a range of colors, and the standardized colors are white, black, and cuckoo. And I think the cuckoo may be the most common. Okay. Now, these are some very short chickens. Oh, they're, no, they're extremely short. And the short legs are tied to a semi-lethal gene. Right. Which means that if the offspring get one copy of the gene, the heterozygous, the chick will produce the short legs. If the chick gets two copies of the gene, which is homozygous, that leads to in-shell embryo death. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, Japanese bantams actually have a similar gene tied to the short legs. And I'm not going to get into this in great detail because it's complicated. Yeah, let's not. spelling out a DNA chart. Yeah. But long story short, the short legs are what are recognized in the standard. Okay. 
when you breed them together, you get some short legs, you get some long legs. The long legs are not show quality, but, you know, good pets. The long legs we can call Michael Jordan. <laughs> because they're like the Michael Jordan of the Scots Dumpy. They're, they're Michael Jordan, but that it's considered a breed fault. So you cannot show Michael Jordan the Scots oh, Dumpy. Oh, man, I'd be like, look, I got myself a tall Scots, Scots Dumpy. That is, like, rare. I'd be showing them I everywhere. I think it's like 25% of the time. If I got a tall Scots Dumpy, I would be showing that chicken it's a everywhere. Scots Longy. <laughs> I would be showing them everywhere. Okay. I'd be like, hey, everybody, look at my Scots Longy. Okay, so we're carrying on about the name. But I've got to tell you, people who keep the Dumpies love them. <laughs> Stop, <it's killing laughs> the Dumpies. Can we just call them the Scots? No, because they're more than one Scottish breed. The Scots Dumpies are a quiet, friendly breed. <laughs> The hens are really good layers of cream-colored eggs, and they're good broody hens. And they're eggs. You don't have to worry about them breaking when they drop, because they don't have that much farther to drop. They do occasionally go broody. They're good broody hens. So baby Scots Dumpies need some special provisions because of their tiny little legs. They need lower feeders and waters. And they can't go out in wet grass because you don't want them catching a chill. Yeah, the wet feathers, they can get a chill. That's true. Yeah, and, you know, probably the adults also, you want to just keep an eye on. Yes, to make sure they're not running out and getting in a puddle right. anywhere. Well, now that you are not laughing, I'm about to make you laugh again when I tell you that there's a bantam dumpy. I mean, you guys need to do yourself a favor and look up the Scots dumpy and just look at pictures. I mean, these legs are so short. You're like, how are they carrying this whole body of this chicken? On I'm telling legs? you, they're a popular breed in the UK. People who have them love them. I want to see pictures. Like, send us pictures if you have the Scots dumpy. Okay. It's a very good chicken. It's very friendly. It's a very old breed of chicken. Yes. I just don't know what these legs, like, I mean, they're short. They're short. It's like if I were a chicken. I'm short. Very short. Likewise. (laughs) (laughs) So the breed, the Scott Stumpy steadily diminished in number throughout the 20th century, like so many other heritage breeds, until a group of dedicated breeders set out to restore these chickens in the... 70s. 1970s. How did I know this? It's the magic decade for chicken restoration. Because everyone's like, the 50s, we all had TV dinners. Everybody tried to be industrial. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're like, back to earth. Let's renew. We used Let's have some short-legged chickens. (laughs) Let's breed some short-legged chickens. (laughs) I'm sure the short legs came around for some kind of evolutionary reason that we don't know. Because, again, it's a super old breed of chicken. It's more like duck like for swimming purposes i don't know that they swim it looks like they should swim they make a swimming motion when they run but they don't swim you even said that earlier it looks like they should be swimming i'm trying to i'm trying to talk up this breed that you cannot stop laughing (laughs) over no it's like the shortest legs i've ever seen on a chicken before okay well they're still considered a rare breed in the uk so the Dumpies had like a little 15 minutes of fame. Okay. You know the Outlander series? Yes. Okay, the author Diana Gabaldon. Apparently in one of the books, there's a character who's looking for Scott's Dumpies. Yes. And I guess it caused a mini surge. People oh. People running around trying to get kinda, themselves some Scott's Dumpies. Yeah, kind of like in England when the Queen, when Queen Elizabeth would. Not on that scale, but yes. Yeah, yes. on a smaller scale now. Yes. Come on, mm-hmm. there's only one Queen out there. Yes. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, so they had it a little It is movement. a cute little chicken. All kidding aside, it's a very adorable chicken. I just think the legs are very, very, very short. 
Well, you've remarked on the short legs on the dorking and the feverals as well, so. Yeah, I mean, I just find it, it has to be hard for them to get around carrying a normal-sized body on shorter legs. That's all I'm concerned about. Yeah, I mean, they seem. It works. They seem to do well. The people who have them love them. Yeah, and they're really great chickens. Breeding them must be tough because you're always worried about the lethal gene. Yeah. If you end up with the, the homozygous. That's sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, they've been around for hundreds of years. There is a Scott's Dumpy Club official website. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes. And you can get them in the U.S. at Sandhill Preservation. Yeah, that was the only place I found them. Sandhill Preservation Center has been breeding them. They're unavailable in 2021. I guess the breeding numbers are down. Right. But keep an eye on their website. See if they manage to get some numbers up if you want any of these chicks. Yeah. And they are beautiful with the, the cuckoo patterns yeah. and all of those. They're really pretty. And the roosters are really cool looking. We were looking at a solid black one that was beautiful. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. really beautiful. Sandhill Preservation does note that this breed needs conservation help in the U.S. So if you're interested in a short chicken... This is the way to go. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I'm a short person. So, I mean, I'm really, I'm 5'1". I'm short. I'm 5'4". You're short, too. I'm short. But I'm shorter than you. You are. So, I can relate with this chicken. It needs help if anybody who wants to adopt one. (laughs) If you have one out there, send us a picture or a video. I would love it. Yeah, we were trying to find video just to see what it looks like when they run. It's described as this sort of swimming motion. Yeah. And we found a few videos where they were pecking around, but we didn't find any of them running running. or Mm -hmm. anything. It's a really cool chicken. It's interesting to me that a chicken that's this much of a challenge to breed yeah. has been around for so many hundred years. 700 years? At least. Yeah, uh-huh. so they have staying power. Yeah. And if you have one, send us pictures. We would love to see it. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yes. So speaking of Scottish things. I think we should go across the pond and have coffee with the owner. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm getting in that now. So how are you doing, Fiona? Well, I was a little bit worried where you introduced me talking about the Scots Dumpy because, let's face it, you could describe me as a Scots Dumpy. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> no. It's because you have short legs. I have very short legs, too. I'm short. You're an Italian. Well, I'm, I'm an <laughs> Italian Dumpy. I'm the Irish Dumpy, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up in Scotland as well, so right. technically... <laughs> yes but the scouts don't be we, we just said all kinds of amazing things about them yeah we love them yeah i know one or two people have got them and they sound absolutely amazing they love them they're real little characters <laughs> and they're supposed to be super sweet yeah the, i mean that's lady. what they've said they're very friendly very good with their with their kids actually apparently yeah, yeah and that's important i mean super sweet and short that sounds like me <laughs> <laughs> okay So today, what we're going to talk about with Fiona is basically for our main topic, it's pullet integration. Now, we've had a lot of messages about this. Yeah, a lot of listeners are curious about how we handle this. Yes. And what we want to do is just kind of go around our table to the three of us and discuss how we do it because somebody may pull something they want to use from Fiona, from Holly Ann, from myself, and then make their own plan up for chick or pull it let's call it pull it integration mm-hmm. because it's hard let's face it it's hard yeah it can be yeah yeah definitely so fiona why don't you start with telling us the broody hen side when you have the broody hen she sits on the eggs we have the chicks and it's time to kind of integrate them in what does she do 
Well, as soon as the broody hen has hatched all her chicks, she'll want to take them outside of the coop. What we tend to do with ours is we leave a, a run on with the coop just for 24 hours so that the chicks are able to run and okay. they can get some real speed up if they need to. And I think the trick to a chick with a broody hen and letting them out with the main flock is lots and lots of space because the broody hen will gradually introduce them to the flock. So for the first week or two weeks, she will almost kind of wander around the outside of most of the other hens. And, you know, she'll make sure that the other hens don't get too close. She'll let them come up and have a little bit of a look at them, but she won't let them get too close. And then gradually she'll let them spend a little bit more time with them. And what's interesting is they gradually get introduced to the pecking order. Right. So to begin with, if another hen comes up and they want to get involved in the pecking order and bop a little chick on the head, broody hen wades in, chases them off. Right. Okay. Really defensive. But you notice as the weeks go on, their intervention gets less and less and less. So if another hen walks up at week three and it's just a very gentle kind of curious, you're not one of mine, bop on the head, she won't intervene. But if it's a hen coming up and it's it's a bit more you know enthusiastic, bob right. head, yeah. she will she'll chase them off, and that goes on till roughly about week six, where quite frankly the chicks are big enough and broody hen is thinking about going back to the flock, so they have to look after themselves. Quite frankly, at that point, she's very very happy for them to know their place in hierarchy. It's really about the the young pullet, the young chick understanding their place in hierarchy because all the senior hens have got their place established and they're not going to give up a place. They're going to want those newbies at the bottom. Right. I have a question. In the very beginning, when the chicks are very small, how much time are they going to be spending under the broody hen to stay warm? So, you know, here in the States, you get a one day old chick, you have a brooder. We keep that heat source on 24 hours, no matter what to keep them warm enough at at least 85 to 90, correct, Holly Ann, for the beginning? But generally about 90 that first week. Yeah. yeah. So does the broody hen, the, do they go under the broody hen a lot while they're outside? They do, but it, it's kind of a bit of um, how long's a bit of string. So it depends on the outside temperatures and it depends on the wind speed as well, the wind chill factor. So you can find that the first week in a normal UK spring day, which may be... Well, I would say 15 degrees, but we're not getting that at the moment. It's really cold over here right now. But if it's, say, 15, 16 degrees, I would expect that first week, maybe once an hour, she'll sit down for 10 minutes and have the chicks under her. And then she'll wander around a little bit more and then she will sit down on the chicks again. And that will keep them warm enough to go out, get their food and water, come back. Yeah, I mean, what I find with the, with the broody hens is that once those doors open in the moment, once they're allowed out, they're out all day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Unless it actually comes down with heavy rain, even if it's raining lightly, she will stay outside and take chicks under her and she mm-hmm. will sit in the rain with the chicks underneath her. Okay. Yeah. And the chicks will be perfectly okay. But yeah. if it's really heavy rain, she'll go back into the coop. But if it's not heavily raining, she's out all day. We might find in the first week that all the other chickens will be out till maybe 8 p.m. given the light at the moment. 
but she will go in at 4 or 5 p.m. So she'll go in an awful lot earlier and get herself settled with the chicks. As soon as the afternoon temperatures plummet, she okay. will go in. But for the majority of the day, she's out and about. It's not, yeah. it's not a problem. It's We've never problem. lost a chick to hypothermia. That's awesome. Just for reference, 15 or 16 Celsius is about 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're looking at a pretty average spring day there. Right. Yeah, I, I'm not good with Fahrenheit compared to That's okay. Celsius. That's okay. That's, That's right. what Google's for. Yeah. So Pollyanna. <laughs> Google we, is my friend. It is. <laughs> we were talking in a previous episode about kind of the same type of thing, like when our chicks can go outside and when we, you know, like the first two to three weeks, we don't take them out from under the light for very long at all and much less go outside. And then 65, we were saying 65 degrees at about three weeks, we can leave them out for 10, 15 minutes yeah, generally, and then bring them back under the light. And then after at six weeks plus, they're pretty okay with 65 plus, right? They have enough feathering at that point. Well, it's we interesting saying- you say that because last year we had a broody hen who broke partway through the brood and she mm-hmm. was actually sat on the old English pheasant fowl eggs. And week three, we put, it was like an old tea chest with an improvised door. Okay. And we had a run on the outside. And at week three, we put the youngsters outside. We had a brooder plate. So one of right. those heat warming plates inside the tea crate. Right. But the chicks really could decide whether they wanted to be out or in. Mm-hmm. Right. And they kept going back in to get warm when they needed to. Yeah. But they were they were outside a lot of the time. But okay. they were almost duplicating what the booty hen would do with them. Right. So when they got a little bit cool, they would just run back back in and go on and get warmed the, up the brooder, yeah. for a while yeah but yeah. they were they were pretty sensible about it I mean as we we didn't have any problems so one them. thing I've learned in over the years the very first thing I learned about chickens is how instinctual and how smart they are because the first year I Very had chickens so. I'm like how am I going to tell these chickens to go in at night and I sat there the first night the coop was set up <laughs> and one by one I never showed a chicken a thing they walked up that sure. little ladder when it's funny you should say that. That's a question I actually get asked an awful lot for the first time. Yeah. People who are just about to get the chickens for the first time. Because for us as longtime chicken keepers, you know, it's one of these things which we just know and we accept. But actually, right. somebody keeping chickens for the very first time, how do how do I tell them where to go? How are they going to know yeah. where they're supposed to sleep? They're how so do they know what, when it's time to go to bed? They're instinctual. It's bred genetically into them to know these things. And it's so fun to sit there and watch. You know, you don't have to really show them much of anything when it comes to that. So with the integration with the old English pheasant fowl, we actually had the tea chest and the run in the middle of the chicken field. So the other chickens were walking around the outside. And at week six, we took the run away. And the young chicks were, had access to the entire flock. And because the other chickens had been around the run this mm-hmm. entire time, the, the youngsters had observed the behavior in the rest of the flock. And they had picked up their bottom of the hierarchy. And we had no integration issues whatsoever. That's amazing. Oh, that's perfect. So integration at my place, it's not exactly the same. We do it later. I think our nights get colder than yours. So we start taking the babies out during the day for longer and longer periods, like mm-hmm. Christy was saying. But then in my big hen yards, we, we have really big yards. We've built little eight by four runs within the run. 
Oh, right. And sometimes that's used for a convalescing hen so that she's not out of the flock for too long. We also use those for integration. Same thing. That's right. Yeah, they can watch the rest of the hens. The rest of the flock can get used to them. There are still some issues once you put them together, but we'll do that for several weeks. Let them go in there and get used to each other. Now, what I have is on the same lines, but a little different Uh is I bought, well, actually it was a Mother's Day gift (laughs) a long time ago. (laughs) And it's two gazebos that are hooked together to make a cage that's 10 feet long by five feet wide. They're like small wire gazebos. They're, and they're heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I put that them next great. to the run with the babies in the gazebo yeah. cages. And then we call it the integration cages. And they run there during the day. And they that way everybody can see each other. And that process for me usually lasts two to four weeks. Yeah. Where they're sleeping in the brooder at night. And during the day, they're out getting to know who they're going to be going in with. Right. And we hear a lot of things about people who want to just take these chicks and put them directly in the run existing and you can't do it. I yeah. mean, I guess there are some people who have been successful, but it's not a good idea if you can avoid it at all. That's it's a recipe for disaster in some cases. Yeah. No, I agree. It's it's the the big bang approach can be really, really problematic. Yeah. Because when when you're integrating them as well from a brooder environment where the chicks are sleeping in a different place and then you're wanting them to go into a coop with a much older set. I mean you might for us with the old English pheasant fowl, even though they're integrated with the flock during the day, when we actually took the run away, they were still sleeping in a separate area. Right. So okay. they weren't going into the same coop as the, the older hens. Right. And they had much longer. They, they had roughly about four months after that, I think, before they went into a coop with the older hens. Exactly. Yeah. So we start like I don't start really leaving in them outside of any length of time without me right there until about 11 to 12 weeks. That's when I do it, too. About and three months. Yeah. And then they have weeks of integration cage next to the they have a lot of space. But they need to, they kind of have to get to know each other. Like, it's kind of like somebody moving into your house. It's a stranger. You're like, who is this? And where did you come from? So this way, it gives them a few weeks to get to know each other. And then I let them free range together, which that's what you said. Basically, the free ranging is them on equal neutral ground. ground. Exactly. Very much so. Yeah. And we do that for a while too. Before anybody goes into a run with the big girls, Mm -hmm. they free range. The one thing I do get asked quite a lot about is uh, people who have got small flocks and one chicken, they've lost one chicken or they've lost, say, two chickens out of four, and they want to bring more into the set. And they're talking about just buying one chick or one point of lay and integrating it. And my advice is always to try and at least have a small group. Mm -hmm. So only go for two if you've got three or four to begin with right yep but uh, try for at least three as a minimum size to bring them into another group it's really hard on that one chicken that you're trying to bring into an existing flock and the one thing that we've all learned about chickens through all these years of keeping them is they're hardcore like there (laughs) there is nothing they're they're not scared there's nothing kind of like easy about them going they're like oh my god you're new oh and i'm going to come after you right away so yeah. one chicken alone oh, is the schoolyard on steroids, isn't it? 
Oh, yeah, it totally. Really it's like Mean Girls, the movie. <laughs> I, I, yeah. As a chicken keeper, the number one tool in your toolbox is patience. Yeah, for integration. Yeah. yeah. The other thing yeah. I do is once I free range them, I don't know about you guys, but I take a chair inside the run. I'll sit up there, yeah. For hours. I'll take my phone, my a book, and just kind of play referee for the first day or two and just kind of do the little boop on the nose and say no. And let them kind of get to know. And then, the, like you said, it takes a while for them all to sleep in the same coop because that's where they all, all those frustrations from the day come out when they go to bed. It's like, oh my God. You see, for me, I take an opposite approach. One of the reasons why we have so much room is because I know that any of the chicks that are having trouble can get away and run away, have their own groups okay. and find yeah. somewhere which is hidden from the rest of the flock. But when we were bringing adults in and trying to integrate them, I could not watch them. It was just awful. And I found that if I got involved, it was actually extending the process. Yeah. So I took a slightly different view. Yeah. I I feel like for the free range, I stay out of it. Like I'll sit out there and let them all free range together. But the first like day or two, I feel like I just have to keep an eye on the babies just to make sure... And the reason I wait till like, you know, 12 weeks is the size factor because the hens are so big. I don't want to put a super small pullet in there with no chance. I don't think I've integrated anyone fully under 16 weeks. I agree. And that might be conservative. Yeah. It's just what has worked well with my breeds. When I brought- No, I'm, I'm the same. I yeah, mean, okay. to, to integrate them into the same coop, yep. absolutely don't do it till about 16 weeks for yeah. us. Okay. I feel like there's, you're leaving them out there. They have to be able to defend themselves if someone's going to pick on them. And they have to have that size. So we have some listeners asking, you know, like six weeks, can they go out? If they don't have an existing flock to be integrated in, we kind of wait until eight to 12 weeks, even though, because we want them to be fully feathered. And and some of that depends on the structure they're going into in the weather. Like right. I, yes, we, very much so. Yeah, we put the Jersey Giants in a coop when they were a little younger, but Ricardo was growing so quickly. He had a couple of vitamin deficiency problems, including vitamin D. So we put them in a coop when they were quite young, but we did use a, a heat source in the coop. And if you have a Brincy in there, you yeah, know, like maybe fine. that mm-hmm. would work. But again, that was a solo coop. That Yeah, that that's not an integration into an not. existing flock. And that's where it's going to be really hard. So some people are coming, a lot of people are coming into that second year. They've gotten like four chickens the first year mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm going to expand. And it's a patience. You have it to have patience. patience. It's going to mm-hmm. take at least a month or two. So that you can feel good walking away and leaving them all together and knowing somebody's not going to get pecked in the eye. It's all fun yeah. games until somebody gets pecked yeah. in the eye and then it's not. <laughs> that is yeah. speaking from personal experience. That is not a good problem. It's to have. not. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's so much easier for us with the broody hen because she does yes. so much to that for us. But as I, as I say, with the old English pheasant fowl, we, we did take the runaway at six weeks and they were allowed during the day to be in the same space as the adults but they all flocked together there was 10 of them and they had their own little cohesive group and they found hidey places they find places to run away to they knew where they could kind of walk around the periphery of the, Mm -hmm. the older hens but other times they knew they needed to get out of the way yeah but they had their heat source until they were I don't think I took it away until they were 10 weeks old yeah okay 
although I did give them an alternative unheated um, tea chest next to their existing one. And it was actually on the majority of nights where they chose to go in the unheated oh, makeshift wow. coop area. Oh, the, okay. That was the time I took the, the brood plate away. Okay. So now what I'm working with is, so Holly and I both tried the Brincy this year along with the heat lamp. We kind of already discussed how that all went. But now this is a good time for if you have the Brincy to utilize it. Right. They're bigger. They yes. need some heat. They don't need the full heat of the heat lamp. Right. And I have a super big four feet by four feet pop-up cage that they stay in during the day when I can't be outside with them. And I just put the Brincy in there in case they get a little chilled, they can run right under and I don't need the heat lamp. Right. So it's awesome. It is hard. The first year, the first time I had to integrate, it's overwhelming. You called me over and over it's and over overwhelming. that first time. I feel for people doing it the first time because yeah. it is a process. And until you learn... Don't get discouraged. It's a process. It's not going to happen in one day, one week, two weeks. It's weeks. Yeah, it, it, it is. Actually getting them to go into the coop with the older hens for the very first time, that's the really difficult bit. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's the second night because I've had so many people contact me and say, I put the chickens in last night. I popped them inside the coop, but they don't want to go in tonight. They're worried. So. <laughs> They're like, what's going to happen to me? So, and the other thing well, is that you'll notice, I've noticed this, the youngins, the littles will end up sleeping in a nest box or on the ground yes, of the yes, coop yes. first, because the, yeah. it takes a little bit to win that roost spot. Yeah. So they know. They're not even going to try unless you get that chicken. That's like, I'm super strong chicken. Uh, There's a lot of nest box sleeping. There's a a lot. lot Mm -hmm. Hey, sometimes I think the nest box would be more comfortable than the roosting bar anyway. It's terribly cute. Do you know, the interesting thing is head chicken in our egg layers group at the moment is sleeping in the nest box. Really? It's now. Yes. It's it's the prime spot now. Okay. Thunder is she has taken that nest box she's not See, and I don't understand why more of them don't do it they're like confined it's comfy you're you don't have to be on the because roosting bar biologically they want to roost that's a biological yeah that's another genetic yeah. instinctual yeah. thing that's in them it's apart like apart from my orpingtons yeah. <laughs> big fat floopy things who would rather flop on the floor yeah I'm always like it would be more comfy you're in the shavings it's comfy <laughs> Okay, so everyone out there who's doing this, all of our first timers from last year who are now integrating, right? just be patient. It will happen. It will take weeks, but it will happen. But free ranging together is a great tool and a barrier. You know, free ranging, you're yes. going to have them in a run together, a barrier so they can check each other out with protection. Take some chicken wire. It's very simple to do. Yeah, chicken wire works just fine in that circumstance. And call, take, yeah. I've done this before, take a corner and just tie chicken wire and give them a corner. Yeah. Now I have gone back and then one of the hens has like flown over the chicken coop or of chicken course. wire. And she's just looking at them like, what are you doing? But it's always one. It's kept them safe enough for when they're bigger. And then before the total integration, but it does take at least a good month. If you need a higher barrier, if you can, you can buy, you know, the debris netting that you see on scaffolding quite a lot. Yes. It's the, the green, very fine mesh. You can yes. buy that incredibly cheaply. And it's when it's stretched out, it's about, it can be about six foot high. 
Okay. So that can make a very high barrier, but allows them to see each other very, very easily. And because it's got some given it as well, they can get a little bit closer to each other. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, get a better sense of each other too. It's exactly what you're saying, Fiona. Being able to see each other, but not yeah. get at each other mm-hmm. for any length of time so they can slowly get to know each other. And then when you go to put them together, believe me, you have a lot less problems if they've seen each other for a long time and not gone together at first in a confined yeah. spot like a run. Do you have any actual techniques to get them to go into the same coop for the first time? Because we've got some tricks, but I wondered if you've got any techniques I can steal. Mine have just gone in. I mean, I think it's because they just get so tired of it because I, I go so long. They've walked in and they know they just lay on the ground in there. And they're kind of like, maybe I'll be safe here. I don't think I have any good techniques. The last chicks that we integrated were our Brahmas. And they're so gentle that we, most of the time, we were picking them up and putting them in the coop. I've done that before right. too. There was a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, we, we do that the first night, but we find that the second night that what they try and do is go back to the old coop where they were. So a lot of the time on the second and third night, we end up having to pick them up when they try and roost outside the door of the old coop, which is now shut. Yeah. But then by picking them up and putting them in front of the door on the ramp, in front of the door to the new coop, so they physically have to walk in. Okay. That seems to get them past the problem. Right. That's a good idea. Yeah, it is a good idea. The other thing I could think of would be to entice them with a treat or two, right as they come in the door, you know, like holding your hand there to get them to walk up for a treat or, you know, something that they could have a little bit of corn or something that they really think is yummy. Just out of curiosity, is it in your experience with the multiple breeds, do you find it more difficult to integrate multiple breeds than one breed? Because with our Orpingtons, never really an issue. The Orpingtons come together quite easily. But there are egg layers for the Morans, the cream laid bars, and the old English pheasant fowl. It's always been a little bit more difficult. And I don't know whether that's because it's the different breed characteristics. Some are feistier, some are more laid back. I think if you're integrating a pullet of the breed that you already have, I think there's a common acceptance of that breed. Versus if you have a different breed coming in, and this is one reason why we talk about breed spotlight every week is... You have to find the breed, the personality of the breed that's going to mesh with what you already have if you're getting more chickens. Yeah. So I always wondered whether it was just the Orpingtons being so laid back or no, whether the it Swedish was... Swedish flowers are far more welcoming of other Swedish flowers than they have ever been of other breeds. They definitely okay. have a better tolerance for their own for yeah. whatever reason. So we're going to have our work cut out for us this year because we have a mixed flock going into basically mixed flocks. We yeah. So we both have the salmon favorals, the leg bars, the Egyptian Bayoumis. Yes, them, a Rhode Island yeah. red and a speckled Sussex to go into. Mine's going in with four lavender Orpingtons and Gertie. <laughs> mine is going in with an Easter Egger and my three Jersey giant hens. We've been taking them out in the pendants in the run. And most of the dealings have been harmonious. Esther, who was the biggest Jersey giant hen, did peck one of the leg bar chicks in the face. Pete kind of intervened there, just gently shoot her away. So I was I she injured know. or was she okay? No, she was okay. She was okay. I, I, I took give her a good look over. She was fine. I anticipate that it's going to be a bit difficult, but we have an added wrinkle in that situation. And that is that Mary Berry might be Gary Berry. <laughs> 
no, no. Yeah. That's gonna be a stay tuned for I'm that like, one. Pete refuses to see this. He says that is a that is a hen until I hear her crow. Her comb isn't particularly huge, but it's a little redder than other pullet oh, And there's waddle. She I looks see waddle. Oh. She looks different than Katie T Biscuit. Gary Barry. <laughs> That's going to be a stay tuned thing. Everyone stay tuned. Well, Paul's at that age. Is it going to be Gary Barry? It could be Paul Hollywood. Oh, if okay. We're going to stay with the <laughs> Great British Bake Off scene. I, I don't know. I, like, the chicken experience part of my brain is like, j- you just need to suck it up and realize you probably have a speckled Sussex Rue right there. But the other part of my brain will not. I can't face this. I can't. Here's it's, the other thing. She might just be developing a little quicker than the other ones. The comb and the extra waddle generally tell the tale of your hens and roos. They do. Fiona, I can see Fiona. I'm sat here. I'm I'm sat here shaking my head. She's got wattles. She's a he. So um, I will say. So tell Pete I'm very, very, very sorry. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I do not want a speckled Sussex rooster. I will have one because you know we're not going to get rid of him. Hey, we could have speckled Sussex babies with your rooster. And Katie T get my well. Head. Here's the lucky thing: is my guy just contributes his soldiers, and then I don't have to worry about another clutch of chicks. That's all on you, honey. She There's can deal with speckled Sussex clutch there. <laughs> so the other thing that we're not bringing up is extra perches, extra bowls of water, extra bowls of feed. Yeah, all these yes. things can kind of cut down because this is where a lot of scuffles are going to happen when these littles go over to the food bowl. Right. And the, yeah, the older ladies are like, excuse me, I don't think so. And the roosting, which is really great, grab some big sticks from somewhere, add them in so they can jump. We give Keep them some multiple fun. perches. Yeah. Um, but like as we prepare for the battle that is going to be the Jersey Giants and the Fayomis, and the rest of that brood, we're really putting a lot more surface in that run. So they have places to get out of the way. Yeah. Like Fiona yeah. said, places for them to hide, places for them to get mm-hmm. up higher. Those things, if you create that in the beginning, when you free range together, you won't have to worry about that because they'll find it naturally. Right. But in the yeah. runs, they're going to need a place to go. Yeah, the, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that I found that cuts down on scuffles a little bit is using false eggs. The pullets generally do not have any trouble figuring out where the nest boxes are, but especially the Swedish flowers go into attack mode. They do not want the newbies in the nest boxes. As we've talked about before, it's a biological imperative for the hens to create a clutch for the broody hen. Yes. So they all want to lay in one box. I have found that using strategic placement of false eggs in some of the other boxes will encourage the pullets to use them first. So they're not being attacked while they're trying to lay an egg. Yeah. That helps a a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a really good idea. If you have heritage breeds versus hybrid. Okay. So if you have a hybrid breed, they're going to be laying much earlier yes. than a heritage yes. breed. So if you have a heritage breed, you're going to have a little bit more time to worry about that. Right. Letting them get to know each other before the egg laying even happens. You may even be like me last year with Gertie. Like, when is this chicken going to lay an egg? Month nine. The eggs <laughs> yeah, begin. Exactly. Well, again, I really threw another monkey wrench in it with the Egyptian Fayumis because they start to lay somewhere between four and five months. These oh. Fayumis are going to give you a run for your money. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking when we ordered chicks this year. <laughs> we've got Gary Barry or Paul Hollywood, whoever he ends up being. And we've got the Fayumis. And I don't know what I was thinking. 
sometimes the chips just fall that way. So <laughs> it does mean that you're storing up some good luck for next year. This is true. And you yes. know what? They are gorgeous. Those Theomies are they're beautiful. Yeah, they're they are. Beautiful. They are beautiful. They're beautiful. They've actually they, I've been looking at the pictures on Instagram. They're amazing. They're they're beautiful. Gorgeous. And the interesting thing about them is they both have uh, green legs, the willow legs. On Delilah, it's a gray green. And on Zara, it's a yellow green. And it, they're both beautiful. Yeah. When I saw them the other day while we were working, they were gorgeous. Yeah, they are. They look nothing like they did as little tiny chicks no, at all. The little teeny brown red chicks are gone. These yeah. beautiful silver birds. But I have to say, I saw for myself that Mary Berry looks different Ugh. from Katie Tebas. But you didn't say anything. I did. The first thing she does, she looks at the brooder and she says, oh, Mary Berry looks much different than Katie Tebiscuit. <laughs> Tell me something I don't already know. Rub some salt in that wound. I love you, Holly. I uh, know. Me and my rooster. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, because obviously buying day-old chicks is, is not a common thing here in the UK. So mm. if you do buy a day-old chick and it turns out you've bought what you believe to be hens and yeah. it does turn out to be a boy. What happens? What's the deal? Is it, well, you bought them as a day old chick. You, they're believed to be hens. So you have to have that or... rooster plan. It depends on where you got it. I mean, no one's going to take it back. No one's taking up. You are back. stuck with that cockerel. I think some places will refund you or maybe give yeah. you another pullet, a replacement pullet. Which they say is a pullet, but it might be another cockerel. <laughs> it may be another cockerel. Here's where I'm kicking myself. <laughs> I picked him out. And with the Jersey Giants, who were supposed to be, again, four pullets, I picked Ricardo out. You were very, that day to week, I, I'm a rooster magnet. We bought our chicks together. So Holly Ann was like very adamant. She was like, that one right there. She was a, she was a very, out, she, she, she was a very outgoing little chick. She squeezed <laughs> between two Jersey Giant pullets to get to the water. I thought she looks good and healthy and responsive. He. <laughs> <laughs> But well, do you know what? I, this this should tell you something. What? You are not allowed to pick ever again. I know, right? You should have had I'm, me. Pick. I'm done. I should have had you pick. I yeah, can, I've said that to myself so many times. It's it's no. You can't let me. Pick In fact, movies. you're not allowed to go to the store. Send no. Chrissy instead. <laughs> yes. You let me let me look at them first, and I'll be like, well, out of these three, which one do you like? No, I'm not doing it. You just choose them. The other thing I'm going to do, I because I'm pretty she sure she still might be a girl. She still might be a girl. With red wattles at six weeks? Maybe. I'm being optimistic. This is the this is the speech of a woman who has never had a cockerel. That's what that is. <laughs> it yeah. is. Because you know when you see them. So our rooster plan is the Jersey Giant girls are going to be like, how could you? How could you? We just got rid of that one and brought another <laughs> one in here to bring a man in here. But we're pretty sure next year's breed is going to be uh, Nankeen Bantams. They're one of the true Bantams. They're tiny, tiny little things. And they're critically endangered. And so I've been interested in them for quite a while. But wherever we get them, I'm not choosing them. I'm going to tell her, you choose. Okay, and well, with I any luck, you might be able to get some old English peasants. Oh. Yes, in fact, because Greenfire Farm does have them now. So that's a possibility as that well. Is. So I was also looking at the red caps. But anyway, all of that aside, yeah, no, I'm not allowed to choose chicks anymore <laughs> ever. No, ch no, I can't choose the chicks and I can't choose the movie. I'm terrible at both. No, you're not. There's clearly another story yeah. going on there that I don't know about. No, I'm just terrible at choosing movies. I always, I, I just am. Bad movie, two hours of your life is gone. Rooster, <laughs> you have a whole other set of problems. Yeah. 
Anyway, listeners, all wonderful listeners, that's why we say have a rooster plan. I'm being optimistic. I think she's still going to be Mary Berry. I'm putting my money on a girl. Paul Hollywood. (laughs) Put my money on a girl. So here we go. Uh, We've gotten off the subject a little bit, but a lot. It kind of all goes into chick integration. Be patient. Make lots of extra little places for them, extra water, extra food. Make your life easier. Free range them first. Let them go in a little separate area where they can see each other, but not be with each other. And the number one thing is patience. Patience. Absolutely. Yeah. And the hiding places I was talking about doesn't have to be complicated. It can be as simple as a piece of plywood, which is propped up between grease blocks or bricks. So it's upright. So there's just a a screen barrier between one section and another section. So the chicks can run behind it, get away from the older hens. Doesn't need to be complicated. No, not at all. It just has, you just have to have patience. That's all I can think of. Like, yeah. It will come. Don't think the first day you're going to take these chicks outside, put them with the, with the hens and no. it's all going to go well. That is not what integration is. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks. And at the end, if you take the time and go slow, it will be much easier for mm-hmm. you than if you yeah. try to rush it. You know, and they have to get over this pecking order establishment. It's something which they have to go through. And it's hard as a new chicken owner. It's, you know, you cannot underestimate how difficult that is, can you? It's no, no, it really it it takes an emotional toll on you, especially if you yeah, you start off with say four your first four hens are just sweet and wonderful, and then you're gonna think, What in the world have I done? I've just made a mess of the flock dynamic, (laughs) but it does get better. You know, sometimes when I get the chicks, you're so about the chicks, and then you look out at your happy flock, right? And this has happened to me almost every time. And you say that you, you're looking at them and you're like, enjoy the next month and a half. Yes. There's, yeah. There's a, there's a storm of rumble in here. <laughs> so enjoy. And they're so peaceful. They're all like grooming each other. And you just look back and you're like, oh, what's going to be in a month and a half? <laughs> They do work it out. They do work it out. That's the good news. They do get through it. And it's just a very short, painful period where (laughs) you're looking at them. Don't do that. Leave them alone. Yeah. And then everything's okay. Right. It does get better. It gets bad. Then it gets better. And here's the thing. Like if you pick in the the breeds that you pick, if you pick easygoing chicks to go in with easygoing chicks, it's going to be easier. Yeah. If you have like me, cuckoo morans in one flock you're not gonna be adding chicks because it's gonna be way harder <laughs> yeah i mean you like yep. chicks but it's a, it's more of an uphill battle it's true yeah personality does matter it does it really does yeah that's why the golden retrievers of the chicken world are so popular right. i know those orpingtons <laughs> i know <laughs> that's my plug get those yeah. and you know what they put the cuckoo morans they are head of that flock cuckoo morans cannot take over on them Bubbles and yeah. Buttercup, the Buff Orpingtons rule it, and the Cuckoo Morans are under them. I really think that is sheer size and seniority combined. But yeah, you say that, but our our older Orpingtons are in control of our Copper Black Morans, but our Copper Black Morans are in control of our young Orpingtons. Yeah, okay, I would believe it definitely because yeah. yeah. my two are the originals. The Buff um, Buttercup and Bubbles are my original chickens, yeah. and so everyone integrated into them. So they're still yeah. number one and two, mm-hmm. but the Cuckoo Morans take it out on the Bard Rocks and my Leghorn, Lucy. So it's like a complicated flock. 
It is. So good luck to everyone. And we'll leave with this. If anyone has any questions, anything that you want an opinion on with integration, feel free to message us. We are here and we'll try our best to answer your questions. The first time you do it, it can give you some gray hair. And I'm happy to take questions on the YouTube English Country Life account too. So definitely drop me a line there. That would be wonderful. So we're probably going to sign off for now, Fiona, but we will see you again in a few weeks. So as we've been advertising for the last few months, once Fiona has a birdie hen, we'll be following her through her whole journey to hatch her chicks, which will probably be around 11 weeks. But once that's finished, Fiona has agreed to come on and be our amazing international correspondent at least once a month. Yay! Yay! Fiona will be joining us at the table once a month. It will be fantastic. And once again, I'm it, really looking forward to it. I think you're crazy to ask me. I mean, why on earth you want to? Hey, talk we're to crazy. Me? So we need a third crazy. <laughs> we need a third crazy. I'm loving it. <laughs> we are now all friends. It's just been amazing to have met you through all of this. And once a month, it's going to be awesome to all sit at the table via Zoom, of course. And um, record. Well, you've invited yourself to my house now. Right? Hey, (laughs) I am coming to your house when this is all over. She has invited herself. Like 20 times. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. You're more than welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You are both welcome. Thank you. I'm leaving Holly at home. No, I'm just joking. Girl. We will see Fiona we next will, time. We will have a link to <laughs> Fiona's YouTube channel, English Country Life. And you in know what? Notes. Check it out. Yeah, check it out. The videos are beautiful. And follow her on Instagram and Twitter at the Floof Lady. Love it. I love it. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Lovely to talk to you. See you soon. Thanks, Bye. 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 Okay, so it is time for cracking the eggs. <laughs> cracking the eggs. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing a little something different this week for cracking the eggs. Yeah, we don't actually have a recipe recipe. We're going to talk a little bit of food history. This is sort of a tangent that we've been on lately. This is something that both of us were brought up on. And for me, it has a lot of family history. It does. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk pasta and eggs. Yeah, and we're specifically going to talk, we're going to focus on Sicily. And we're going to talk about the hard-boiled egg Mm -hmm. in sauce, basically. Right, right. So eggs and pasta go together pretty well. Most of us have heard of pasta carbonara. Right. And check out episode 16 for our recipe. Yeah. But there are other ways that eggs and pasta work together. And there are ways that you would not think that it goes together. Right. Until you actually taste it and you realize, why have I not been eating it this way all along? Right. Now, there's one other variation that we'll probably do a recipe for this eventually, but it's essentially poached eggs and tomato sauce. Right. Another really, really delicious thing. But we're talking specifically about hard-boiled eggs. Okay, so what is easier, especially this time of the year when you have so many eggs and you're trying to integrate them into your breakfast, lunch, dinner, Mm -hmm. than to have, and this is one of the staples of the family, American family dinners, is pasta night. Right. You can have a gluten-free pasta, you can have regular pasta, Mm -hmm. and a nice marinara sauce. The best thing to add to it are hard-boiled eggs. It really is delicious. And so, because both of our mothers were... I'm not even sure where my mom got this, if she got it, like, from the fact that there's such a big, like, little Italy in in Baltimore, and she picked it up there, or whether she just happened upon it. Right. I'll have to ask her that. 
But I know in your family, it's a tradition, and you have relatives from Sicily. Yes, my grandfather came over from Sicily as a young child, and basically, he fed to my parent, to my mom growing up, hard-boiled eggs and sauce. Mm -hmm. Now, I've talked a lot about them living on basically an egg farm right? uh, with the Rhode Island Reds and everything. So, And there were four children, and those times, money was tight. Right. And you have an abundance of eggs. Yeah. So we learned and you learned from doing some research that this was a mainstay in Sicily. It was. Also some parts of southern Italy, but definitely on Sicily. Sicily, yeah. So dishes like lasagna and pasta al forno, which is pasta with egg. Right. A lot of traditional Sicilian recipes include at least half a dozen hard-boiled eggs. Yes. Sliced, chopped, and thrown in there. Yes, because it's a great source of protein. Yeah. And back in the day when things were harder, I'm sure things are hard for people now too, but depression and things like that, a lot of big families didn't have money to buy a lot of meat. Right. And a lot of people, especially in Sicily, Italy, had chickens. Yeah, that's where I got really fascinated with it, with the history there. And of course, people ate chicken meat, but not to the same, uh, the same amount that, that modern people eat meat. Right. They would have the occasional chicken, but usually what they were eating were eggs. Yeah, they were, they were backyard chicken farmers Mm -hmm. and taking care of their chickens and using the eggs to eat. And they found that eggs and tomato sauce, especially really well together. Yeah, especially hard boiled. Yeah. So. Growing up, my mom kept the tradition going with us. Right. And I remember being a young child and saying, why are we having these eggs with our pasta? And her just saying, just try it. It's very good. Just try it. It is good. My mother put eggs in lasagna. That's where I first saw it. And was kind of shocked later as a, a young adult when I had lasagna that did not have hard boiled eggs. You're like, where in are it? the eggs? Yeah, because the eggs are delicious in there. It was a good way to beef up a meal. Right. And, of course, we know Sicily and Italy are known for pasta. Right. A good way to get protein in there. Whatever was in the garden, yeah. they threw in eggplant. But even the pasta was often made. It was egg pasta. I have had that like that my entire life. Mm-hmm. And whenever, we, like right now, we have like four dozen eggs next time we make pasta. I have at least four dozen, probably. I might have more. Way more, yeah. And I've given multiple dozen away. Right, yeah. And it would just be like, boil a dozen eggs. Everybody gets an egg or two in their pasta, and there you go. You use them up. You feel good about using your eggs, and it's so easy. I I just, I know it sounds a little off the wall. I just want everyone to kind of trust us on this one. It's delicious. It really is delicious. I love the fact that if you're homesteading or you're trying to do a subsistence garden, Mm -hmm. this is a really good way to, to make a meal that a lot of it's you've produced. This is the other thing. Like, we try to do a vegetarian meal a week. At least. In your house, yeah. Yeah, you're a vegetarian. Every meal in our house is vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for, let's see, eight years Uh until I got pregnant with Sophia. And then I I wasn't getting enough protein. Right. And so then I stopped. But it's a way to do a vegetarian meal Uh and still make it substantial. Oh, yeah. Eggs, we eat these every day. But this is a great way. And just trust us, this egg and marinara sauce you're going to love it. It is delicious. You can't go wrong. So my brain went to what kind of chickens would they have been keeping in Sicily? Yeah. And there is the beautiful Sicilian buttercup. Right. So that's a possibility. But there's also, and the and the buttercup derived from this breed, there's a much older breed called the Siciliana. Okay. And I think we should probably do a breed spotlight on oh, that. Oh, yeah. On both of those. Mm-hmm. Both yeah. of those breeds will be doing breed spotlights. Exactly. On. Yeah. So if you have any opportunity that you want to try this... 
trust us. Go out on a limb. Yeah. Try it. Yep. Let us know what you think. But it's a look back a little bit in how history kind of woven through families keeps continuing. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, this that's very much like a rustic folk food. Yeah. And actually it is also a feel good food. Yeah. So you can just do this with cooked pasta you're putting sauce on. You can also do it in big pasta dishes, like I said. Oh, the yeah, lasagna. like the lasagna. Yep. And it's just a good thing. It's good for parties. It's a good conversation starter. You put a big bowl of pasta out there with topped with the hard boiled eggs on top, already peeled and everything. Yeah. People are gonna be like, What are you doing? until they taste it. So try it and let us know if you like it. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to move into retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this week we are going to talk about Joe Retro. Yeah, which is a really, really super cool local store. Yes. But they have a website. They have a website so anybody can go on and find stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you've been listening to us for any amount of time now, you know that we love the vintage stuff. We go to thrift stores, we go to yard sales, we go to everywhere. And I collect Pyrex. Pyrex where? Mm -hmm. Way back. Any piece of Pyrex that I can find, I collect. So I found this store in Havita Grace, Maryland, which is about 20 minutes northeast of me. In a little historic town where you go in and it's like Pyrex heaven. Oh, this this store, yeah, it really is. You walk in the door and the shelves are lined with set like matching perfect sets of Pyrex. And multiple sets. Like yeah. multiple, multiple sets. Like if you go in, if you go on the website, check out the whole all the pictures and everything. Yeah. It's amazing. So the other thing is she carries vintage stuff which includes chicken stuff yeah we found a lot of really cute chicken stuff in there Mm -hmm. so before the garden party we decided we're gonna take a trip up to joe retro and just look because she also carries clothing right vintage clothing both remake vintage and actual like sort of replicas replicas as well as actual period clothing yes yeah so we were like all of our like little costume jewelry that we had on we had purchased there Mm -hmm. a few days before when we went up but I wanted to see Holly Ann's face <laughs> when we walked into that store. It's kind of amazing. It is. It really is. So it takes everything and kind of puts a big bow on it in the retro vintage. Like it throws chicken stuff in there. It's very mid-century modern vintage specifically. Mid-century modern. Yeah. Definitely. Uh-huh. So that's kind of my era that I really like. Is mid-century yeah, I'll, modern. I'll go a little bit before and a little bit after yeah. compared to you, but that, that really is your mainstay. Yeah, I really like that time period. So when we walked in, we actually found really cute. We each found a tea towel that we loved. Yeah. Mine had like a little vintage mid-century hen on it in the kitchen. And yours is no longer available on the website. You must have bought some of the last one. I must have bought the l- very last <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, but the one I bought, which is a very modern looking rooster in blues and greens, is on her website. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you so, can still get that one. Exactly. And as always, we'll have that link in our show notes so you can go take a look. We should take pictures of our, put them up too. Yeah, we could do that. Because uh-huh. they're so cute. She also has a really fabulous vintage rooster tablecloth that is, that's also on the website. It's still there. Yeah, that's definitely there. Some Swedish dish cloths. Oh, yes. We were looking at those. Those are the ones that are like, they're cellulose and they're firm right. until you wet them. And then they... They're uh, like those old 
when the kids were little, we'd go to the dollar store and you get the expanding washcloth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is kind of like It's like that. a square and then you wet it and it's like, it's magically yeah. this huge washcloth with Oscar the Grouch on it. <laughs> well, these soften, you know, and, you know, you can use them for washing or drying or whatever. Um, and she had several of those with really pretty chicken prints on them. A lot. And I wouldn't want to wet those up. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to just... I would want it framed. Like, there's yeah. one of polka dotted hens that I loved. It was I would really cute. Want to hang that on my wall. Yeah. The other thing is, in the store, there's all kinds of Pyrex. Right. And if you collect Pyrex or know anything about it, there are chickens on some of the prints. Yeah. So, um, the butter print and the early American heritage print each have chickens on the print. I collect both, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. If anyone did not guess, I collect. So, yeah, that store is amazing, the amount of stuff she has in there. Well, she has cards, like greeting cards yeah. or thank you cards. Some of them will have, say, the, the it's the Butterprint Rooster. Yes. Am I saying that? Okay. Some of them have the Butterprint Rooster. I saw the Butterprint on coasters. Oh, yeah. I saw it in jewelry. Magnets. She has, oh, yeah, magnets, yeah. Keychains. But she has jewelry made from Pyrex shards. Yes. And some of them do have chickens on them. Can we guess? I own some. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of times if you see me in pictures if you see my necklaces they're old pieces of pyrex that are broken yeah i i love that stuff they're pretty cool they really are oh i forgot she also had some really cute little chicken aprons they might be on the website also they might be i haven't looked at the website in a week or so since yeah. we were there but it's entirely possible it's like um, a destination it really is it's the neatest store if you're anywhere near like in the mid-atlantic it's worth a little day trip if you're like an hour to two away. The Grace is a really cute town anyway. It is cute. I mean, it's on the Susquehanna River. Uh -huh. You can walk up and down the town. There's not a ton of stores. There is a cute little tea parlor. There's also that French bakery. The French bakery, the macaroons. Uh -huh. And the tea parlor, I've been in and had tea. Okay. It's so cute. That, it looks really cute. And then there's like a city walking path on the Susquehanna. Oh, okay, right, It's like right. a boardwalk. Yeah. And you can walk. And then they have this huge playground for the kids to play. And cool. it's, there's a marina right there. Okay. So it's really cute and some really nice restaurants. Uh -huh. Across the street from Joe Retro is a wine bar. Oh, can't go wrong with and that. And also a coffee shop. Perfect. So if you're like, you know, if you want a Sunday drive destination and you're yeah. an hour or two away, it's worth it to go. When you walk in the store, in your head, you will just be like, it's really, it really is a cool <laughs> store. And it's not a chain. It, it's an independent. I mean, she's an independent she's, retailer. It's owned by a lady named Jolene. And she basically, when I've spoken with her in the past, I've spoken with her a lot, of course, because we all know I talk a lot. <laughs> really? Nah. <laughs> and she said that when she was younger, her dad would dumpster dive for stuff yeah. and go to yard sales. And he had a thing about Pyrex. So when he passed away... They found so much Pyrex. Really? But then she said basically that she had kind of taken to it as a child with him. Okay. And then she was like, what are we going to do? And then so she's way past selling all the Pyrex off that he had way, way, way past. Right. She buys and sells. And they actually at the store twice a year have a Pyrex festival. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So they have a bunch of vendors. They open up their store, which is huge. Right. And then she brings in pastries and everything. Wow. They didn't have it this year because of COVID, which sure. was sad. Yeah. But and everybody has a chance to be a vendor if you collect Pyrex and then you have extra pieces that you want to sell off. Oh, wow. 
So she does a lot of that. It's speech. almost like a Pyrex swap meet. It's exactly what it is. Cool. So of course I've gone to that one too. Of course you I've have. never sold. But I bet you bought. Oh yeah. You yeah. know it. Of course. And Sophia bought her first piece at a Pyrex festival. Oh nice. What did she get? She got her print that she loves is Blue Horizon. Okay. I don't know which one that is. So it's like a teal and it's got, because you know she loves teal and then it's got like this kind of starburst kind of pattern. Oh, I do know that one. That was pretty. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what she wants. (laughs) My mom said something the other day that she had some vintage piece. Oh, a hen on the nest dish. Oh, really? And she said it was from the 40s. Really? And I said, you better bring that over here. Absolutely. She's like, oh, but it might break over here. I'm like, no, bring it over now. (laughs) Now. She's funny. She is funny. So... If you're not local, check out Joe Retro. You can purchase. at 65 and over. has free shipping. You can purchase right on the website. Cool mid-century. Yeah. I love the rooster tablecloth that she has on there right now. Oh, it's pretty. That's great. I love it. And if you're local or within an hour or two away, it's worth a little drive so that you can walk in the front door and in your head here. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure what to expect. It, It is really cool. Did that happen in your head when you walked in? Kind of. I think it kind of went blank. I was like, holy moly, this looks like a museum. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. And the first thing I saw was a stack of four in completely mint condition, the gooseberry. I love that print And that's too. one of my favorites. Yeah. It was pink in the pink. Yes, the pink. I the love pink, the pink. I love it. So yeah, once you get into it and there's like these collector books on her website, which I- Reference heard, books, yeah. The reference books. Yep. They're amazing. I'm sure they are. Because you can't find all the information online. Right. And the man, I met the author, he actually did all the research for you and put it in one book. That's perfect. Yeah. So you can get those on the website too. Love reference books like that. If you're a collector, look Uh it up. Okay. So I think that we should get out of here basically and let everybody know maybe some of what we're talking about next week. I want to try something new. I only want to give a little tidbit of what we're talking about next week. Next week, we are talking about the really fantastic barred rock yeah well really all the plymouth rocks but the, the barred rock was the first yes so and i know a lot of people have them yeah i have them yes so it's going to be exciting it was and one of our first breeds too yeah talking about a lot of other stuff too but we're going to kind of keep that a little quiet okay christy wants to be mysterious so <laughs> we're talking about the barred rock and then something fun and exciting that you'll hear about yes right before the episode drops probably yeah so okay. we'll keep it we'll keep it there and then keep everybody guessing a little Okay. It's fun though. So until then, what should we tell everybody? Hug your chickens every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show so that we can bring you even more high quality chicken content, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.